Hey y'all, how y'all doing tonight? Hey, it's great to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming to uh, Reformed University Fellowship. Um, it's yeah, it's really it's a real honor to have you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I am the campus minister. What's up? Is it on? I think so. Yeah, it's on. No good. I'm the uh, I'm the campus minister here with RUF. Uh, so it's a great uh, yeah, it's great to have you all gathered here tonight. Um, RUF is a Christian ministry, and we're trying to make, uh, do, ask questions about faith and uh, God, but also build community in a time when it's really, really challenging to build community. Um, and so we're really glad you're here tonight. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out. Um, yeah, just give us a try, hang out with us a bit, and then uh, we'll see what we can do for that. Um, so we're a Christian ministry, and so one of the things that goes into being a Christian ministry is asking questions about God, and so the place to turn for that is the Bible. It's the Christian Bible. And uh, what we do, what we're doing this semester, is we're actually working through the book of Romans. Uh, it's a book that uh, one of the apostles wrote, and it's brilliant. It's beautiful. And tonight, what we're going to look at tonight is how God, we're looking at how the Christian God loves us so that we can repent. How the Christian God loves us so that we can repent. So if you have uh, either a Bible or the uh, little bulletin in front of you, uh, I'm going to read a text of Scripture, and then uh, we'll look at it briefly. Hopefully I can, uh, I can see. All right, so this is from Romans chapter 2, and this is God's Word. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them to yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard, impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is God's word. Let me pray for us really quick. Father in heaven, thank you that we can be here tonight uh, as strange and new as it is, but we can still consistently open your word and know that it is true and it does not change. We pray as we study it tonight that you would be our God and that we would be your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, can I borrow someone's flashlight? Yeah. Yeah, if you have questions as I'm speaking tonight, send me a text. Uh, there should be my phone number on that uh, piece of paper. And then afterwards, we will do uh, some question and answer on it. So thank you, Michaela. Hey, can I borrow somebody's flashlight? I can't see my notes. <laughs> I'll try not to kill your battery. I don't know. Do you need me to be louder still? Oh dear. Oh, it's in my shirt. All right, I can talk real loud if I need to. Is that better? All right, so tonight we're going to look at how the Christian God leads us to repent. And we're going to look at this in three ways. 
three ways we look at this. It's that humans are self-righteous hypocrites, that God condemns the self-righteous, and that God is rich in mercy that leads us to repentance. And so uh, if, you, uh, yeah, if you have questions as we go along, shoot me a text and we'll go. So the first point that I want us to think about tonight is that God is, is that humans are self-righteous and hypocritical. And so to start us off, I want to tell two stories, two stories to get us started. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, my Instagram feed blew up with two things that happened at the same time. So I'm going to tell what happened. So the first thing was that uh, there's, there, a picture ended up on social media, right? Never a good sign when a picture ends up on social media. And the picture was of a famous Christian leader. Uh, and this Christian leader was the president of a rather important, rather famous Christian school. And it's one of those schools that has really, really strict rules. Rules about what you can do, what you can't do. And the rules included modesty rules for women and men. Absolutely no alcohol while attending the school. Like even if you weren't in class, you couldn't drink. They had really strict requirements about how men and women could interact. All these rules, and then all of a sudden this picture ends up on the internet, and the picture is of the president of the college with a red solo cup in his hand, his arm around the waist of a woman that was not his wife, and both of their pants are unzipped. And everyone is looking at this picture, and my friends on Instagram are saying, especially my liberal friends, my non-Christian friends are saying, this is a conservative Christian leader of a school, and he's a total hypocrite. Because he's doing the exact same thing that he, the institution he leads says that they cannot do. They say he's a hypocrite. It's a fair point. Story number two. A couple of weeks ago, during the worst of the, corona, of the, uh, the, the, the protests during the summer of the awful police injustice against black, and women, black men and women, there were some protesters in Seattle that decided to form their own autonomous collective, their own autonomous community called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And so they set up this, uh, this protest zone, and these are far, people who are on the far political left, right? And they set up this autonomous community to govern themselves that was supposed to be free of guns and free of police and free and accepting society. And so, of course, you know what happens as they're going along. Uh, there starts to be some real problems in this community. And there actually are some shootings in this community. And then there's allegations of a sexual assault of men by women. And then here's the one that was interesting to me. They actually built a wall to keep the people that they didn't want out. And it was so funny to me, so ironic, because these are people who are militantly anti-wall from, from our president, and yet they're building a wall themselves. So all the things that they are against are happening within their own community. And all my conservative friends are on Instagram and Facebook saying they're a bunch of hypocrites. That's a fair point. They are hypocrites. And so we have one end of the spectrum, conservative Christians who are being hypocrites. And we have at the other end of the spectrum, people who have no affiliation with faith, with anything, doing the same thing. Both humans, both are humans who believe the same thing. Who would, who would say that they are, they are in the right, that they are, that they are the people who can judge others, and yet they are doing the very thing that they say they ought not to do. They look at the, we look at both of them and we say, you're both hypocrites. 
You're both doing the, uh, the thing that you ought not to do. And that's what Paul says here. He says, Therefore you are without excuse, O man, everyone who judges, for in passing judgment you condemn yourself because you practice the very same things that you say you oughtn't to do. Paul says that we as humans have the tendency to judge other people by standards that we can never follow ourselves. And as soon as we say something is wrong, we fall into that ourselves. And that's, that gets at the core of something that it is to be human be beings. Is as humans, we want to look to something and say, this makes me important, and I can judge another person by it. And I can say that I'm valuable because I don't do this, or I do do this, and that person isn't valuable because they do the opposite. And yet we find ourselves, doesn't matter where we are, doing the exact opposite. All of this rule following and is to say that I'm valuable, but at the end of the day, we end up breaking the very rules that we set out to make. And I was reflecting on that this week. I was like, we all do this. We look at other people and we see something that we don't like about them or we see something that we do like about ourselves and we begin to judge other people by it. But the minute that happens is we also start to see our own weaknesses, our own failures our own hypocrisy. Religious people do this. Religious people will look at non-religious people and say, well, at least I'm not drinking or I'm not partying or I'm not, I, I care about what happens to unborn babies and so I'm righteous for that. And yet we find them often being the ones who lead the party, right? Or we see non-religious people do the exact same thing. We look at, they, look, we, they look at they say, well, we're the religious people. They're bigoted and they're racist and they're homophobic or they don't care about justice. I'm righteous. And, and, and both groups and all of us, we lull ourselves into a sense of security. And that the moment we start to say, I am a righteous person, we fall into the hypocrisy of judging all of us. The Bible would look us all in the eye and say the reality is that you are human, and as a human, you are sinful, and that means that you are hypocritical. All have sinned, and that sin is pervasive, and that sin is so pervasive that it proves, it proves our hypocrisy. So that's the first thing Paul would tell us here. He says that the minute we start to judge someone else, and we all do this, we fall into what we can never not be judged by. And then, the, so that brings us to the second point, which is this, that God condemns us in our hypocrisy. God condemns us in our hypocrisy. We see in this text that Paul is seeking to, that, seeking to say that you judge others, but just as doing that, you are condemned in it. Look again at verse 3. It's this amazing question. It says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do themselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 2 tells us that God rightly judges those who are hypocrites. And at first, I think, I read this and I think, well, this seems unfair of God. This seems cruel of God. How could God judge human beings? That seems cruel. And, and I think there's two reasons. Think with me. I think there's two reasons why this actually makes a lot of sense. And the first is obvious. It's that we want people to be true to their word. You say, how can you be a person of integrity and not do what you say? And the same is true of God. In fact, if, I, I would argue that if God didn't hold us account 
for our behavior, what kind of God would that be? If He didn't care what we do, if He doesn't care if we just blow off our word or if we judge other people and yet do the exact opposite of what we're judging them, we would say, what kind of God is that? I want nothing to do with a God like that. But the second reason why it's good or even, even it, why God condemns us is that God judges us because He is perfectly righteous. He is the only being in the whole universe who does exactly what He says and is never a hypocrite. He is the only one who has the right to assess and the right to judge. And Paul tells us that He will. In verses 4 and 5, he says that there will come a day when God will no longer not judge that he waits, but eventually will come a day when he will judge us. And I think that's a good thing. Here's why. A couple of years ago, there was this women's gymnastic coach who came out that he, his name was Larry Nasser, and it was discovered that he had been abusing and assaulting the women that he was supposed to be caring for for, for, for years and years, and he had been harming hundreds and hundreds of women. And it was the ultimate hypocrisy. I mean, that's the lightest word for it, right? Here's a man who's taken a, an oath or a vow to protect and, and care for women that he's coaching, and yet he's doing the exact opposite. And so here, in the trial, there's this woman, this lawyer comes up named Rachel Denhollander, and she was a victim of the abuse. And when she's testifying, she says, Judge, give him the maximum sentence. I want him to do the maximum sentence for the evil that he has done. Why? Because the hypocrisy that he did was deserved wrath. It was wicked what he did to women. And that makes total sense to us. We say, yes, a man who does terrible things to young girls deserves punishment. That makes sense to us. And that's what Paul says is true of every single person on this earth, that we are the hypocrites, that we are the self-righteous ones who judge others, and that our attempts to judge others and justify ourselves prove our hypocrisy and bring God's wrath on us. So that Paul says that God is right to bring wrath on his people and on people who do not trust him because of their hypocrisy. So that's the bad news, right? So where's the good news? Christianity presumes to have good news in the midst of the bad news. Here's the good news. That, what did you say? Oh, sweet. The good news is that God is a God who gives a gracious, merciful solution in the midst of our hypocrisy. What is the solution? Look at me at verse 4 again. Verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? And there's three words there that are really powerful. The riches of his, Ill, of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience. That reminds me a couple of years ago uh, of a story from when I was in college. I went to college in New York City, of all places. And uh, after college, I ended up working for RUF while I was in uh, New York. And I remember that uh, one, of the, one of my good friends while I was there was a guy named Paul. And Paul was the, one of the best people I've ever met. He was super fun. He was outgoing. He was also like one of the fastest 800 runners in the entire country. And he was awesome. And so Paul grew up in the Bronx of New York, and I grew up in rural Colorado. And so there was a very two different, very, very different worlds meeting. And, I, and, and I was, I'm white, and Paul was black. 
And I remember having conversations with Paul about race and Christianity. And I remember at the beginning of those, as I was beginning to understand the sad realities of racial dynamics in, a, in America, that often in our conversations I would say things that were either implicitly or explicitly like quite harmful or even quite racist to Paul. And I would force him to enter into my white world while not necessarily reciprocating. I would, I, I, would, I would make him listen to me and not listen to him back. And you know what Paul did with me? He was so gracious. He gave me the space to encounter my own brokenness, my own hypocrisy, even my own racism in a way that was a perfect example of kindness and forbearance and patience. He would listen when I should have listened. Without yelling, he would challenge me and say, think about it this way, what you said was not right. And it was his character of mercy and patience that started to help me understand and learn and repent of my own race, racism even, and to give me the space. He gave me, Paul gave me the relational space to see that I was a self-righteous hypocrite with regards to race. Friends, that's what, Paul, that's what God does to us. God does to us, all of us, what Paul did to me. That in his kindness and in his patience, he gives us the relational space to say, yes, I am a hypocrite. I am a self-righteous person. And you know where that mercy and that grace and that patience shine most clearly? They, that's, that's in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's another story. When Jesus was walking on earth and he was teaching, he was a bit of a celebrity. And there was this guy named Zacchaeus who wanted to see Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus was a wicked man. He was worse than a hypocrite. He was a tax collector, which means that he was basically using government power to charge huge financial taxes and burdens on the people. And, and, and he was, so he was doing terrible things. And Jesus comes to him, this wicked man, and he says, hey, I'm going to stay with you. I want to live in your house. I want to eat with you. And that grace of that intimacy and that fellowship with him, it, gives that, it, it leads Zacchaeus to repentance so much so that he repents and he pays back all the money that he stole. That Jesus is the person who gives us the intimacy and the relationship and the patience to repent and to say, I am a hypocrite. I am the problem. I am the self-righteous judger. There's only one other place where Jesus does that so well, so clearly. It's at the cross. And at the cross, the wrath of God meets the patience of Jesus in the same time, in the same person. And it creates the space for you and for me to repent, just like I had to learn to do with Paul, just like Zacchaeus had to learn to do with Jesus. Repentance is when we admit to God and to ourselves that I am the unrighteous, hypocritical person and I desperately need mercy. This repentance, it's the daily life of being a Christian. It's not something you do once and then move on. For those of us who are growing as Christians who are saying, I want to grow in my faith, let me say this. Learn the art of repentance. Learn how to explore the depths of your own 
hypocritical, self-righteous heart and then learn how God's grace and patience and kindness meets you there. Listen to me say this. The Christian faith says you are more hypocritical than you maybe previously had thought. And when we repent that we are far more loved than we can possibly imagine. The Christian faith that says that you are more hypocritical than you maybe thought. And when we repent that we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. So what's the implication of this? How does this affect your and my life? Well, there's lots of ways, but let me say this. Repentance leads to stable friendships. Repentance leads to stable friendships. I've been a campus pastor long enough to see that when people come to college, they say, hey, I want to make friends that are going to be my best friends. I want to make the friend that's in my wedding. And sometimes that happens, and it's really great. And other times, friendships blow up. They absolutely blow up. And you've been there, where it ends up in hurt and pain. And here's the reality. The secret to a long-lasting friendship is repentance. The secret to friendship is not being in the same major, not having the same interests, not having the same color of skin. The secret to friendship is the ability to say, I blew it. I'm a hypocrite. I did what I say I oughtn't do. And I need your grace. Just like God gives me grace, I beg that you give me grace and mercy. My best friend is my wife. Her name is Caroline. She's an amazing woman. I love her more than any person in the entire world. And our marriage cannot just survive off of feelings of love. That's the candy in our relationship. It's amazing, but it's not the stuff that nourishes our marriage. The food that actually strengthens our marriage, the the weightlifting that makes our marriage stronger is when we look at each other when we're fighting and say, I blew it and I'm sorry and I repent, and I know that I can forgive you and that you can forgive me because God has forgiven me. When you have a friendship that is built on that foundation of repentance and fueled by God's love for you, that's the foundation of friendships in college that will last. So learn the art of saying, I'm a hypocrite, I'm worse than I think, and I serve a God who gives me the space to repent and heal me. The Christian faith says that you're far more hypocritical than you previously thought and you are far more loved in Jesus than you could possibly imagine. That frees us to repent. So what do we see in this text? We see that we humans, all of us, we have a deep sin problem and it manifests in hypocrisy and in self-righteousness and that God judges us for that and he's right to judge us for our hypocrisy. And the way out of that judgment, that God's judgment, is to repent and say, God, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm a hypocrite. Save me. Help me to understand how I can repent more. And when that happens, as we become a community that does that, as Christians, man, that's the best news. That's the best hope for community and life. That's the good news of the gospel, friends, is that the gospel gives us the ability to say I'm more broken and sinful than I thought and more loved than I could possibly imagine in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this word and for the good news that it is. I pray that you would be with us as we go about our days and our lives. Help us to be people who can admit that we are broken hypocrites, sinful even, 
and help us to know by your Spirit what you are doing to save us through Jesus, what you have done through Jesus to save us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to give this phone back and turn off the live stream so we can look at uh, some questions if people texted us. Hang on. Thanks, Ashley. Okay, so let's see what some people texted me. Can you tell people... Oh, no, that's not right. Oh, yeah. Uh, bring your uh, bulletins up at the end so we can recycle them and we're not trashing the place. Uh, let's see. Here's one. When it says, oh, man, is that meant for men or does that, does that uh, also include women? That's a really great question, and I meant to bring this up. So when the text says here in verse 3, do you suppose, oh, man... Um, that's, that's an accurate translation of the Greek, and the Greek word man includes women, much the way Spanish does. Spanish can have a word that will include both men and women. That's the same thing that happens in the Hebrew text. Uh, we could translate that people. Uh, some translations do, but the translation I use uh, uses man. Great question. Thanks for sending that in. What's the difference between judgment and accountability? Calling out sin, calling for change, calling for a community of repentance. People will often say things like, don't judge when they are called out. How do we discern between the two? How do we support each other through accountability and not dismiss anything that calls out evil as judging? That's a great different question. So the question is basically asking, what's the difference between having accountability in our friendships and judging other people? It's a really good question. I think the difference is relationship. The difference, I mean, there could be some differences, but when you have a friend like my wife who can come to me and say, hey, you are a really big jerk to me, that's accountability because I know she loves me. But if I were to come up to somebody on campus and say, hey, you're a giant hypocrite, that's pretty close to judging because I don't know them. So when you're trusting someone, when you have a relationship with someone, you can get away with saying things because they know you're in your... You, they know that you're in their court. So I think a big part of that is accountability is, happens in the context of relationships. Judging happens in the, in the, in the context of not knowing someone. Um, now, that's you know, to say that there's a possibility for, um, you know, you, you could judge someone and be, your, you know, and be a good friend of them. Sorry, I forget. Thanks, Rigo. Um, that could, there could be an, a possibility of judging even in friendship, but I'll say right now I think that the main difference is the context of relationship, which is what God does with us. In the context of relationship, he calls us um, to accountability, to be holy, because he loves us. Uh, is that it? Any others? Those are it. So, yeah, if you have any other questions, um, feel free to shoot me a text or uh, Instagram me or whatever, and uh, we can keep talking about it. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming out tonight, y'all. I really appreciate it. I hope that this was encouraging to you. Uh, we're starting up our small groups this week, so our, our Quattro small groups. So if you are interested in that, come talk to uh, me or Madeline or Deborah. We'd love to get you in a small group. Um, but it's great to see you all tonight. Let me pray for us, and we will go about our, uh, our lives. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord in heaven, thank you very much that we can be here in the dark uh, and... Uh, what probably feels awkward for some people, but we trust that you are in it. 
and that you are good. We pray that you would go with us this week as we study, as we spend time on our computers, as we try to meet people, that you would be our God, that you would be in all of it, and that we would be changed people to know and love you more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming out tonight. Stick around. Get to meet somebody new. Uh, We'll hope to see you around. Have a great evening. Bye.